Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 60. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Well, today we have some more listener feedback. I'm not sure that it's in response to a particular episode. It came in by email. It's from Evan in Virginia. Thought I would read the the email and his questions or suggestions for podcast topics, and then we'll figure out where we want to go from there. So here's what he has to say. Hey, guys, I appreciated your latest podcast regarding love and biblical illiteracy. I feel like you all have a well-rounded discussion about topics instead of a more one-sided argument. Lately, I've been having some interesting conversations, although more one-sided, with my worship pastor regarding a variety of topics. And then Evan talks a little bit about where he went to school, where his worship pastor went to school, and also uh, kind of a a link to, he also mentions Biola, that's where I went to school, and, and how there might be some similarities there. My worship pastor attended in this university and for both of his undergraduate and postgraduate degrees. This brings about differing opinions and interesting conversations due to our diverse backgrounds. I guess I have a few questions that could warrant good conversation for you for your podcast. One question I have is, if it is possible that our love of doctrine impacts the way we love other individuals in either a positive or negative way, or if we care about doctrine more than we care about the people that surround us every day that Christ calls us to love. Another question would be, how valuable are the church's universal traditions, and do you think that we are missing something when we cast those traditions aside? I'm thinking of things like the basic church calendar, the Advent season, the season of Lent, things like that. The more, quote, modern churches that I've been attending recently seem to be void of those types of things, and yet I feel there is a value in some of those traditions. The more, quote, modern churches I have been attending recently seem to be void of those types of things, and yet I feel like there is value in some of those traditional seasons or liturgical passages. Like I said, the conversations with my worship pastor have been interesting. He references a lot that Jesus said this or that, and I can agree with him to a point. I just think that sometimes we can get so caught up in the, quote, rightness or, quote, wrongness of something that we lose the relational aspects that Christ calls us to and that he was an example of. Maybe it is a close-mindedness of what Christ calls us to. I really don't know. Hope you guys have a great day. Keep up the good work. Wow. That's a, I had a great day after I got that email. How about you? Absolutely. That is so great to have. There's just so much content there, and he's engaging, I guess, kind of with stuff that we're talking about and offering us topics that I I really hope that Evan continues to engage with us on these topics because it's really great when we've got that sort of, you know, here are my views or here's what I'm interested in because it's something we can work with. Totally, totally. Yeah, and I would, I encourage Evan or anyone else listening to this episode, if you have follow-on thoughts, we love getting email. We love even more getting comments on the website, not because we're trying to like, boost our ratings on the web or anything, but then there's a flow to the conversation and kind of a context to the comments and different things people are thinking about, and then more people can see them. So thanks again, Evan, for this email. So I see three questions here. I see 
the question about loving people, loving doctrine more than people, the question about the traditions and kind of calendar of the church. And then I guess the last paragraph, getting caught up in the rightness or wrongness of things and losing what he refers to as that causing us to lose the relational aspects of what Christ calls us to. Hmm. So where would you like to go? Oh man. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Why don't we start with the, the first one? I mean, I, I think the title of his, the subject line of his email is love of doctrine over love of people. So I, I kind of think that's, that's a bit of a focal point. And, and I think that first point really just zeroes in on it. It's, it's, he's basically asking that question. Okay. So yeah, I, I guess that would be a good way to go. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. I, well, I guess the one thought I had was the first question and the third one seem kind of related. The second one, also interesting. I have some thoughts on it. I'm sure you do too. That might mm. be like maybe a separate episode. I don't know. So I thought maybe we'll just take, I don't know, the first and third question and maybe talk about those, see where we get and go from there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not in my head. Let's do that. And like most of these, we, <laughs> I don't think we've ever had a, a conversation where we knew where it was going to end. <laughs> they always end up in some mysterious, sometimes magical, sometimes not so magical place. So why don't we start? Okay. So let's start with the first question. All so right. is it po- so one question that I have is if it is possible to, that our love of doctrine impacts the way we love other individuals in either a positive or negative way. All I can think of here is the story you like to tell about the person giving the track to the cashier at the hardware store. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so yes, I, I'm resounding yes to this question. Yes, I think it's possible, and yeah, I think it also ties into the to the third question about rightness and wrongness. Mm-hmm. My experience of a lot of conservative Christian culture is there is a preoccupation with judgment. I was talking to my wife a little bit about this last night. Judgment in the sense of, you know, there's a real, I don't know if it's a big movement, but I come across a lot of my reading these days, which is the Buddhist notion of mindfulness mm. and the idea of not not judging a situation or yourself or anything. And mm. that that keeps a person open to being able to, better embrace another person or an idea because the first step is not deciding whether it's right or wrong. I think that Mm. has some application here. I think there is a, I think that's a really valuable principle. And I think there's a lot to be gained by not deciding right off the bat, whether something's right or wrong. I think, I think there Mm -hmm. does come a point where it's important. Mm -hmm. However, leading with it, I'm not sure always gets us to a good place. I think that's really a valuable insight. Yeah, you know, and yeah, those two, his, I think you're right, his, his first and third question go together really well and kind of contextualize that whole thing. I mean, I think we've been, we've been really looking at this. For me, this, uh, you know, in some of the books we've been reading and, and this, this whole relationship between practice and theory, what we think about something and how we interact relating those, you know, regarding those things or, or in, in that trajectory, I think... Yeah, it's 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 so interesting too. There was a discussion here at Labrie uh, on Friday 
uh, just the other day, and we were talking about two different types of church environment. We were talking about, and we used the the um, image of circles. And one type of church environment is kind of they focus on the boundaries. Maybe maybe we could call it the the periphery centric model, and they're really careful about who's inside the boundary and who's kind of getting too close to the boundary. So it's a little bit uncomfortable. Do we know really what side of the boundary they're on? And this type of church is really careful to understand, hey, listen, you're a little too close to that boundary. You're a little wishy-washy on this point or this this doctrine or this way of seeing things. And therefore, we are, um, you know, you could say concerned or you, you might say in some cases anxious or maybe who knows, afraid, but there's a response that says, we want to know whether you're on this side or the other side of that boundary. Well, yeah, it gets into the whole right or wrong, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. The other type of model, still think about a circle, but think about it like a scatter chart, right? If you're talking graphs, you know, scatter chart is each point is is on there and it's a different point. And then you're kind of looking at that and saying, what's the pattern? The pattern we want to see in our church is we want all the points to be as close to the middle as we can. And that middle is Christ. It's in a, in a Christian church. It is a focus on and understanding of who God is, who I am as a human being, and what the relationship between the two should look like. And that this becomes, these concerns are both preoccupying and liberating right? They, they, they're a focus for me in my life. I'm concerned about them. And as I engage with the biblical text, as I engage with those around me, as I engage with myself and live my life out in the world, I find that these three focal pieces, God, myself, and the relationship between the two, the space between the two, if you like, these are informed, they're enlivened, and they become basically the relationship becomes, becomes rich. It becomes what, you know, in uh, John's gospel, the author refers to as, as abundant, you know, this notion of abundant living. And I guess what I would say in a kind of a, a nutshell version is, I think our churches should be this focal, focusing on the center, you know, and it doesn't mean that everybody is going to be in the same place, but it means that no matter where you are, as part of this community, part of what it means to be part of this community is you're focusing on the center. You're aware of those around you. You may be concerned about those around you in a caring way. You know, and I can hear some of the criticism, which is, well, you know, and we've, we've seen this, I don't know if you want to, if you want to, if you want to pick up on this, you can. I'm just going to put it in. I'm not trying to like drop a little bomb into the, <laughs> into the podcast. Okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to sidetrack anything like, like we have an agenda, but you know. Well, everyone does, questions. you say. What's that? You've said everyone has an agenda. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, you and I don't have, like, a written agenda of, like, we're going to say this, and then we're going to, you know, we don't have a choreograph. Well, actually, you've just gone off script, but continue. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Well, I was going to raise, and we don't have, like, don't have to go with this, but just really briefly, or or not, depending upon what you want to do, I'm okay, is the whole thing with Mark Driscoll and uh, Mars Hill Church in Seattle and this... Um, church discipline notion that's come to light. Now, what's church discipline doing? It's saying, hey, you know what? There are some boundaries. There are some some sort of yeses and nos. Now, I'm not trying to be either critical or accepting of Mark Driscoll. I, I'm just kind of highlighting this in its best possible way, which is, you know, this notion of rightness and wrongness. 
on the one hand, has a place. Um, you know, I think one of the things that um, the director at Swiss Libri here, Greg Lowry, one thing, the things that, that you know, I've heard him say many, many times is this notion that grace reigns, but sin matters. So grace, which, you know, we've talked about as, as this, this manifestation of God's love as gift to us, it reigns. That, that is the, the primary umbrella under which we should be seeing all the things that are part of the Christian life and, and the orientation, that main orientation from and to God. But this notion of sin, in other words, things we do, acts or states of mind, orientations, whether omissive or commissive, that thwart the relationship between us and God. That's what sin is. And so those things matter. Well, yeah, they do matter. Because when that relationship with God is thwarted, my relationship with myself is impacted negatively with others, clearly with God. So I see this all tying together. So when you talk about, so going back to your idea of focusing on the center mm. and that being Christ, so also thinking about the Mark Driscoll situation, not the current one, but there was one, I don't know, two or three years ago that had to do with some guy that they had on this very regimented church discipline process. That's what I'm thinking about. But yeah. it also kind of ties into Evan's question here, too, which I think is so, okay, so the focus is the center. If you say the center is Christ, what I'm trying to say is that it seems to all come down, though, to how people interpret the Bible. Mm. Because... When I think of the Mark Driscoll situation, and again, I was reading third-hand accounts, news articles, don't know how accurate they were, so I'll just put those caveats there. But my sense mm-hmm. was they were taking a very literal, like, well, you know, the Bible says first you go with one person, and then if that doesn't work, you go with two. And, and I've seen and heard of other situations where people have really prided themselves in the fact that, you know, we are biblically church-disciplining this person. Mm-hmm. Well, coming back to also Evan's situation here so the the conversations he's having with his worship pastor and the the right you know what's right and what's wrong and Jesus is saying this to me that it seems like biblical interpretation is is core and be here because did Jesus say that okay yes I'll grant that Jesus said it because it's recorded in the Bible but what was the context mm-hmm. you know okay yeah. so the worship pastor is saying well Jesus says this and Jesus says that well, did Jesus really say that? Or is worship pastor putting words in Jesus' mouth? And so yeah. my encouragement, almost an answer to, well, I will answer what I think to the, Evan's third question is, if the worship pastor is saying, well, Jesus says this, or this is what Jesus commands us to do, do some homework. Like, get out a commentary, get out a couple commentaries, do some do some further reading, because I, I'm still carting yeah. around trucks full of baggage from all the things that I was told that the Bible told me that I had to do or the, what it meant upon further reflection. It's like, well, it's a little more complicated than that. And so Jesus commanded yeah. someone to do, Jesus was talking to someone 2000 years ago and it got recorded in the Bible. And, you know, it's like I referred to it for, you know, the Bible just turns into a magic cookbook mm-hmm. or a magic book of directives that it will, if it's written in the Bible, we must do it. Mm-hmm. Except when we don't, you know, Jesus or Judas, Judas went and hung himself. But, you know, obviously that doesn't apply to us. But these other <laughs> verses do. Yeah, now I'm exactly. on a soapbox. So what what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I mean, this whole this whole piece about interpretation, I, I guess I feel 
like I'm a little bit in remiss here because I know you, this came up with another listener a little while ago, actually a while ago. And we talked about putting a list of resources now. And, and I, I value and I completely agree with your comment about this requires some homework. So when he says, listen, in Corinthians, it says this, in 1 Corinthians, in Ephesians, it says this, in Colossians, it says this. But I want to be careful as a reader, as a person, as a Christian about who, about the, about being as knowledgeable as I can be about what types of reference material I'm using to help me understand the Bible. Right, and I think we had a listener request to put up a list of some of our um, preferred. Uh, I think uh, that may have come out of. I don't know if our listener requested it so much as we were. Were we talking about it together? I think it came out of a conversation with Anna from Washington, and okay. she had mentioned a series of NT Wright commentaries or something, and I think that led me to. Anyway, so continue. Okay, well, I'm just thinking. First of all. I'd love to put that up there. And that's not like, here's the approved list. Here, that, <laughs> I, I'm totally frank. That's my list, right? And why do I like some of those books? Well, I have people who are more competent than me, you know? So I have uh, one year of Greek and I have one year of exegesis and I've got a whole slew. I've got a lot of years of hermeneutics, which which is the stuff you want to underscore all that. So... Um, and undergird all that. Uh, so that's my background. But, but I know people who've got a lot more skill in exegesis and language. And I, so I talk to them. So what do you like? Who do you like? Why do you like them? And uh, so that's my short list. And I want to put those books up there and say, you know, have at or this is this type of stuff that I would recommend and, and see what you think. I think there's, there's a fair bit of good stuff out there. And there's definitely a fair bit of, of really uh, stuff you want to avoid stuff that I think is going to lead you down paths that are less valid than others. You know, I just got through reading, a, it's a, the classic, no, that's not the guy's name. I'm looking for an author's name and I'm not coming up with it. Was this the guy from last, from the episode 56, the guy that from Torchbearers? No, 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 not at all. This, this was, this is the type of thing that, that really makes it apparent why we need to be really careful. Uh, I want to s- cite both authors, not just the one who is, um, who I thought was, was, was definitely shown up. I want to say it's Richard Payne. The last name of the, there are two, 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 um, two scholars, two biblical scholars. Uh, one is the last name is Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. The other is Moo, M-O. Uh, U, I believe, or M-O-O. Um, I'll check that. Um, and I'm going to come back and put some notes in the uh, podcast notes about these people and put a link in here. But essentially, it's an article that was written, I, th- I think it was back in the 80s, and it's a dialogue about a verse that talks about women being disallowed from teaching in the church. And it is a point-by-point rebuttal of Mr. Payne to Mr. Moo. And Moose, I, th- I think, has definitely done a scholarly article. It's published in a, a biblical journal, and he's come up with a conclusion that when you read the text, generally makes sense. Now, what Payne has done, and I think he's done, he may be a specialist in this area. Um, these, these are both notable scholars, right? But Payne is far more convincing 
and he he takes point by point. He shows the interaction not only of the, um, the the text and verses that are under discussion, but their interaction in the the greater context of the the epistle that they're in. And uh, the, the specific verses are are slipping my mind at the moment, but I'll try to put those in notes. But I guess my my point is. I think that reading these two articles side by side is the best homework that anyone who is interested in biblical exegesis and in biblical interpretation generally could do. Not because this particular set of verses is so crucial, but because the conversation is put together so well. And you can see point for point, particularly when you're reading pain, and he you know, he's not uh, disregarding Mu. He's not caricaturing him. He's taking him at his word and saying, you know what, point for point, I think you've gone wrong here. I think this is a better way to see it here. And when we knit this all together, I think my view makes more sense. And he's extremely convincing. And I think that's what we want. I mean, you talked a little while ago in a previous podcast about rigor, which is really sitting down, doing your homework. And you want to know that, first of all, yeah, the person's doing their homework. And second of all, they're a pretty good student in this field, right? And I'd say when you've got a situation, we did this, we did this with wine, right? You know, like I'm a, I used to import wine. And I remember the first time I, <laughs> you and I sat down and we had two glasses of wine, this red wine and that red wine. And, you know, it was like, hey, taste the two of them together, you know, and, and that whole thing. I and mean, I've seen this with so many people where they say, oh, yeah, I don't really like wine or whatever, or I, I couldn't really care less. And they try one, and they try the other, say, hey, this one's really good. Well, yeah, because you're, you're having a chance to have right upfront comparison. And when you have that with exegesis and with textual interpretation, biblical interpretation, you can really see what constitutes quality. And I'm not saying Moose works not quality, but I don't think he's right. And I think he's been shown fairly conclusively that he's not right on this one. And so I would really advocate that. And I'll see if I can find the, the link to that article, if I can dig it up. This guy, is, his name is Philip Payne, and he's actually got a book out on, on a lot of these articles that he's put together and a lot of this argumentation. And this is a book I'd highly recommend from what, from what I've, just from the article that I, I read, which the book includes, Man and Woman, One in Christ, an Exegetical and Theological, theological Study of Paul's Letters. So, yeah, I would just tie this all together by saying, in any case, I mean, this applies to us, too. If mm-hmm. <laughs> When someone's putting something out there about what someone said or what, you know, the Bible says or what something means, I think it's totally important to give that some consideration. Now, there's probably some shades of gray here in terms of how in-depth you do that and where you do that. We received some uh, critique, I think it was in episode 56, that thought that we went too deep. So I think some of that's a matter of taste and some of it's a matter of context too. So I guess that's how I qualify that. Yeah. Maybe I can throw one more thing in about this. Throw it in. Okay. Because, you know, he starts off the email to us. And his second sentence says, I feel like you all, you all have a well-rounded discussion about topics instead of a, a more one-sided argument. Lately, in his third sentence, lately I've been having some interesting conversations, although more one-sided, with my worship pastor regarding a variety of topics. And I guess I would like to ask Evan a question. 
my question would be, how has that been going for you? The well, it doesn't sound like very well. <laughs> well, yeah, and I guess I would love for him to give a little bit more about he's, – he's certainly given content for us, which is great. But you know, to the extent you're willing to kind of um, share some of this, Evan, um, what, how, how is that going for you? What sort of are the opportunities to have uh, more of a dialogue – uh, more of what you've called uh, a well-rounded discussion, um, and how does that you know how does that impact you? I mean, on the one hand, I don't know. I don't want to kind of ask for too much, but but I would be interested. You know, how does that work out for you in a church situation? Because I know for me personally, and I'm very sincere about this, that is a is a make or break for me. You know, I don't need people to agree with me, but if my voice is stifled. You know, I remember being at a yeah the church I used to go to before I just before I kind of walked away from Christianity for those those number of years, and um, it, had, it had been just after the funeral uh, for my brother and father. They they were killed together. Uh, you know, as you know, John, uh, in a car accident, and this is 1991. And, and I was so upset because the, you know, there were just a few specific things we'd requested and the, the pastor had, had said, yeah, okay, we can do these. And they'd, they'd used it because it was a big community event. The funeral was because it was a big shock. You've got these two, this prominent business person and this, his, one of his sons and they die and the church is packed. And they basically said to themselves, hey, you know, we've got to turn this into uh, a bit of a rally. This is a bit of a, a um, you know, a, a call for us to evangelize these people. I've never heard and this story. You, you're kidding me. Oh, the man, they totally hijacked it. They, they hijacked the funeral. This is my father's and brother's funeral. And I was, I, 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 I cannot, you know, we had a conversation last, um, you know, Eric wrote in, 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 and that's going to appear in episode 56. And the question was between confidence and arrogance. And I have never in my life had an encounter with a more arrogant human being who simply was so presumptuous as to take over that event. And then when I went to go speak with him, and this is what I mean about it being a deal breaker for me. I went to go speak with him, and he was so enormously condescending. I was so angry, and I was trying to keep my cool. I was 22. You know, my kid brother's dead. My father's dead. And I've got this guy being so thoroughly condescending. He has just taken rights that he does not have. And, you know, that's an extreme situation. Right, but also sometimes in extreme situations, hopefully people's habits bend a little bit because you know it's coming back again to Evan's question and this whole idea of love of doctrine versus love of neighbor. Hopefully, at the end of the day, you're going to get drawn towards loving your neighbor more, and you might just say, you know what, like you said at the beginning, John, this isn't a good way to go. You know, all I needed from that pastor at that moment was a little bit of. Oh, yeah, you know, I guess we saw the packed house and that's what we saw and we went with it and I'm so sorry this hurt you. You know, and, and uh, whatever. I wasn't looking for a pound of flesh from this guy. I was just looking for a little bit of uh, understanding and I got nothing. Yeah, but so I guess I would, I would, I'm not assuming that Evan's conversations are 
you know, of anything in the realm such as mine was in that situation. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. To me, it points to a natural end result, which is I don't go to church right now and I can't see myself going anytime in the future. Be- and I think this is a, I mean, as you're, as you're telling, uh, recounting what happened to you, I'm thinking, well, of course you've like left Christianity in that church. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I just have no qualms with that. Yeah. I had a similar question as I was, as we were talking earlier, I thought, Oh, it would have been good to have asked for maybe some, some specific examples or, or maybe a little more color around some of these conversations and, and things that he's having. But yeah, my encouragement would be find a place where you can have these types of conversations. And sadly, (laughs) the only place I can think of, the only place that I've experienced is Labrie. Now there's gotta be more places in the world. And if people know where they're at, let us know. Uh, Because nothing is a bigger, nothing is a bigger turnoff to me currently Mm -hmm. than this is what the Bible says. I have the answers and then the cage that you get put in, which is, well, if you don't accept the answer and the interpretation that I have, you're sinning or you're in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Which is I, just, I will... a, which just completely like, it's a lose lose. Like who wants to play that game? Yeah. We, we had a, we had a discussion again, that part of that same discussion here at Swiss Labrie just the other day. And we were talking about how, you know, how is change possible? How does transformation take place? And, and one of the, the key things that was raised is we have to be able to to doubt, to suspect, to uh, question, and and I'll, I'll draw this a little bit back. I'm not trying to, yeah, demonize anyone, but but one thing that I did read on one of the sites when I was looking through the whole Mark Driscoll thing, and I might have I might have pasted this little snippet quote to you in a in a chat a little earlier in the week was. Um, this idea of sinning through questioning. So I guess I would echo your point about you want to be in a place where you can have a real dialogue. And you certainly don't want to be in a place where if you start asking questions, if you question what something means, or you question someone's interpretation, or you question someone's actions, or you question church policy, that you're sinning. Because I don't see anywhere in the text where that's that's the case i think the only time there's anything like that is when uh and i don't think it's questioning is when the religious leaders attribute to jesus his attribute his healing and his 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 sort of manifestations of of power and his signs of you know the connection with his divine signs if you like to the devil um but that's much more of a statement than a question even so I think this thing is tricky, though. I'm thinking about, again, the critique we got in episode 56, that we are too mm-hmm. nitpicky. Like, what is a, cons- in other words, is there a way to do constructive nitpicking? <laughs> in other words, one, so that's what, that's what you and I are all about, and me in particular, because I'm still, I'm not 100% on board with all this Christian stuff. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't listened to all the episodes, and if you think I am, I'm not. I'm getting yeah. there, but I'm not all the way there. So yes, I am critical. I do want answers. I do want stuff to make sense. And some of it I feel like is is personal preference. Yeah, some people listening to this are just like, man, will you guys just lay off? I mean, come on, this is really clear. You just do this. It makes sense this way. I get it. I don't know what your problem is. 
And then I would say, well, maybe then we're not the right podcast for you, which mm-hmm. I don't think we're for everyone. I, we can't be for everyone. No, but I just but wonder to myself, I just think, okay, there's, this is really interesting to me anyway, mm-hmm. that yes, there is a place for being critical and maybe a little cynical and a little bit like, this does not make sense to me. And I don't think that you can prove to me that it does. And there being value in that, I guess I guess the only answer that comes to me is if there's an end in mind, there's value in it. But if it's just critique for the sake of critique, of finding something... In other words, our goal, my goal, is not to set out to find everything that I can that's wrong. Mm-hmm. My goal is to get to what's right. Mm-hmm. But as you've said, often with your analogy with the table, there's a whole bunch of stuff on this tabletop, and we've got to clear away all the stuff. We've got to clear away some of the food that's rotting <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so we can make some room for some dishes that we want to eat. Yeah. And so there is, uh, I guess that's how I would answer my own question about where is the place for being critical and for being, quote, nitpicky and trying to untangle, well, that's, untangle things and make sense of things. Um, I guess being critical and being nitpicky is a byproduct of that process. And I I just have a hard time seeing where it's wrong. I mean, if someone out there has has some ideas or some, I'm not looking for five steps, but some criteria, some guidelines that says, you know what? When you end up over in this area, it's probably not productive, and it probably is trying to find something wrong for the sake of finding something wrong. But when you're over in this direction, there's value, there's benefit. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I would go back to that. I think for me, what would be valuable, and I appreciate what you said, that, that, that is really helpful. And I, I appreciate you also just kind of mentioning like where you're at in your trajectory. Because, I mean, we started this podcast, we're at, you know, in our 50s in terms of episodes. And now this has yeah, been going we, on we have, for two years almost. No, two I years. Know, but yeah. we, and we haven't mentioned some of this stuff. We don't really bring it up again and like, hey, you know, yeah, Greg's a Christian and, and he had this seven-year period where he wasn't a Christian. He abandoned Christianity and thought it was a whole, you know, a crock and a lie and just, a, just the worst thing. And John has been a Christian and has kind of faded and now he's kind of saying, well, what's going on? And Greg's back into Christianity now for what is this now? 14 years. And so I think that's really good. You kind of refreshing some of the history. Um, but I would, I would go back to that thing between pain and move, that type of discussion. And I would say for me, I still need to feel like there's credibility. I don't want to be someone and I don't want to be attached to things that seem like they're, they make no sense or they're hurtful to people, they're destructive, they throw people under the bus. I've been thrown under the bus by churches. God knows, I, don't, I certainly don't want to do that to other people. But I think for me is that defining line between being too picky or too investigative or too critical is when someone can put something back to me, I, I, think, I think that what, and I'll, I'll look further, but I think what pain put back to Moo ended, ended the thing. I don't think Moo came back to pain and said, well, let me tell you why I think your points about my points are wrong. I think it kind of ended it, you know, and if you've got pain going on, putting out this book, uh, what is it, 2009 publication, and, and he's, he's kind of uh, somewhat of an expert in this area. And I think that's what it would take for me is for somebody to come back and say, hey, you know, John and Greg, you guys talked about this and here's how I see it. And you made these kind of points. And generally, here's what I see. 
And I, I will say that the feedback we had about being too critical didn't engage with us about the things that we were talking about. I think it was more focused on critiquing our critique, critiquing our methodology and not so much the substance of the things we were discussing. It, to, which, <laughs> to which I would just insert and interrupt here and say, critiques of our approach are welcome. Granted, they come with something constructive. So you can say, man, you guys just go on and on and on about blah, 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 blah. Could you do it a little differently this way? I think it would be more effective. That I think that I think actually helps keep the conversation going. Mm-hmm. What keeps it going even more is like you're saying is, okay, I'm more interested in actually the content than than yeah. than the approach. Now, granted, yeah. if the approach if the approach is is being really distracting or harmful, yeah, we want to we want to address that. But and we'll take anything productive that comes, right? Anything that's kind of yeah. I think that that's that's for me is the line is, is somebody saying hey you know what let's and it finishes the, it finishes the point it's like oh well that's a really good point I didn't know that you know uh, or hey you know yeah you've brought up something about so if 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 somebody who's a positively views not a fan wants to come back and say hey you know what actually I mean this is tough I'm kind of making st- I'm, I'm I'm pulling stuff out of the air here because. There, there is no real exegesis. It's not, a, it's not a book that has much exegesis in it in terms of not a fan. And I think that I think there are some certain basic things that Christians really need to be aware of. When you look at a book that's quoting the Bible and it's not doing any work and presenting you with their back work or homework or um, their reasoning. Scripture references do not count. <laughs> you just can't use, yeah, you can't, man. Uh, come on. I mean, you know, they count in the sense that it's a, a reference. National socialism it, in Germany. I mean, all these things are based on the Bible. You can do a lot of what you want. This whole Pandora's box idea, you can pull just about anything you want. So yeah, you can't just quote scripture verses and you certainly can't quote random verses. You know, if you want to quote 10 verses in a row and draw some stuff out of that, and present that. But I was going to say, I'm sorry, I guess I'm on a hobby horse here, but it just seems to me that if, if we're reading a book, I don't know, and it's got some exegesis in it, there's some homework there. And I come back, you come back and we say, you know, I don't really like that. And we get a listener who calls in, writes in and says, well, actually, here's what I'm seeing. And I, I wonder if you missed this part and da, 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 da. And it's like, oh, okay, well, there's more information here, right? And, and then we got to kind of weigh that up. And maybe we'll change our minds because maybe, and this is the main thing, maybe the perspective they offer is more true. And we don't have absolute access to that. You know, I can't say that everybody who read Payne's article versus Moo's article went, went Payne's way. I wouldn't know. I've only talked to a couple of them, but the ones that I have did. And it closed off the conversation. And this guy's writing a, a book uh, however many years later on the subject and the other guy, as far as I know, hasn't written anything on the subject. And it's, you know, it's so, so there are indicators that say this is more credible. This is less credible. And we can't have this final kind of let's, let's know for sure. God knows for sure. We don't. It's we a can mystery. <laughs> well, I don't know, but it's not a mystery though. Cause I'm we kidding, can't I'm have, kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it, it, it's better and worse, right? And so for my money, pain is better than Moo on this subject. Maybe on a different subject, wouldn't be the case, right? And we measure them all up individually. Doesn't mean that the standards for truth 
will change in different contexts. It just means the context will contribute to how we assess the truthfulness, how we assess the truth value, let's say, of some of those claims. Yeah. You know, in a funny way, I think this ties into his, to Evan's third question, which was about, (laughs) so the notes that I wrote, I printed this out and I wrote some notes on this, on his email. So I wrote form over substance or substance over form. So in related to his question about the church's traditions and, Mm. you know, do, is there value in, in these things? So I guess, so form over substance would be, you know, the form of our conversations versus the substance of our conversations. And Mm -hmm. the the tie into the church thing, I guess the the way I would come back at this, I'm curious what you think, is, is there value in those forms? Is there, so Mm -hmm. there was a period of time, so I grew up in a evangelical church and it was more, was kind of a mixture of old church and new church. Mm -hmm. Um, But after going to Labrie, I went to an Episcopal church for a while, and I loved it. I love the liturgy. I love the liturgy. Now, I think part of the reason I loved it was because of my previous background. I don't know if I had grown up like reciting the liturgy every single Sunday, if it would have still carried the same meaning for me. Right. So my response to that would be, I totally think there can be value in different forms of church and some of the traditions and all of that, I would just want to look a level deeper to say, is there substance there and is that substance helpful versus unhelpful? Not And again, not concluding, well, yeah, I mean, if you do Lent and all that, that's, quote, right, and if you don't, it's wrong. You have to do it. I don't... Hmm. Yeah, I, I think a lot of stuff has evolved since... Since the Bible was written, I think all kinds of wacky stuff has evolved about what church is and what church means and what church is supposed to be. And then to get back on my soapbox, that's where I feel like the Bible is misused to say, well, look at, you know, the early church did this and it says this in the Bible and therefore we need to do it today if we want to get back to what the early church was all about. Yeah, interesting. So, so what do setting you think? Aside, setting aside the fact that the early church was like 2,000 years ago in a completely different culture, but, you know, it all applies today. <laughs> Boy, I sound angry. Continue. <laughs> we both had some 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 kind of like I was trying to figure out what was the fire behind some of what I was saying, and I'm still trying to. I think hurtful experiences. <laughs> what could be, you know, and and maybe it does come down to that. So, and this is great because I mean Evan's question about love of people, because on the one hand, it's not just that you're not loving someone is that sometimes you can be really disregarding, like that minister, right? My situation, I know it's extreme, but I mean, I think that that was a, he had to kind of turn, he had to, he had to make some choices. And I guess this is maybe for me, what's really the big one. Yeah. Maybe for me, that's this, is that when we misconstrue, and this, this really comes back to my whole emphasis on love and truth, right? And when biblical truth takes a hierarchical a fixed hierarchical position over love, love of God, love of others, love of self, then we are in big trouble. Everybody's in trouble because what's ultimately going to happen is people get sacrificed for the sake of truth. But you're in even bigger trouble when the truth isn't even true. Oh, exactly. Then you're hosed. (laughs) Well, yeah, but uh, maybe... 
I don't know. It seems like for the people who are, you know, getting thrown under the bus, so to speak, it's really hard to, I mean, again, coming back to that conversation just the other day here at Libri about change and transformation, you know, I raised the point about certain communities just, they've got certain ideas of what change is. And like, for example, if you're quote unquote sinning by questioning or through questioning, Man, I don't know how you're going to change if you can't if you can't investigate, if you can't doubt, if you can't suspect and criticize. And in certain communities, there just is no way for that to happen. And I guess, yeah, the people are hosed if their view of truth is wrong. But the people who are on the receiving end, man, you don't really have too many options. Well, my experience is the change is just do it, just believe, just embrace it, surrender. Uh, surrender and then it'll all just work yeah which which is just then it's just mental gymnastics yeah try to mentally brute force yourself into feeling a different feeling and thinking a different way which in my experience is almost impossible well yeah and i don't think that's what the bible's calling us to i don't think that's what relationship with god is about you know when we put the whole thing under the kind of um heading of uh effort and the will then I just, you know, that doesn't make any sense. That's not what love's about. Love is not an exercise of the will. And um, when we go that road, I think we end up distorting love. And by distorting love, we end up harming people. And we do it for the sake of truth that, as you say, turns out to not be true. And then you got people all around the world. I mean, we could think about just North America, for instance, looking at the church going, are you kidding me? Are you seriously kidding me? You want me, like you mentioned earlier, the, you know, the track at the hardware store. Really? You want me to seriously think about church as something that makes any sense at all? Look at the way you people treat other people. Look what happens to you when you get cornered, you feel scared, you feel like you're, you know, in these kind of boundary-centric churches. People get marginalized. It's sad, and I don't know how to, I don't know if there is a way to stop it. I think that's a, I think that's like three more podcasts right there. <laughs> so right. just to kind of wrap up, so encouragement to everyone out there, if you have a different perspective on what we've been discussing here, if you think we've missed something or you got something to add, definitely hop over to the website and uh, leave a comment so we can keep this conversation going. Well, the spooky music means only one thing. This episode's over, but another one's on the way. Thanks for listening to Untangling Christianity. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so leave a comment at our website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 60. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available in the right sidebar of the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. And if you're looking for just one more way to give feedback on the podcast, we're running a survey. Untanglingchristianity.com slash survey. Music on this podcast is made available by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Thank him for his generosity by supporting him at his website. 
Tune in next week for a new episode.